you can't break this thing. Uh, actually, let's go take it and drop it off the the roof. Why not? Let's go. All right, let's go get it. now. So today we're going to do something a little bit different. I've had several questions over the course of the last, uh, I would say, five years. It keeps coming back to a couple really big questions, which is, what's your favorite way to make coffee? Uh, I get that um, every day for the most part. Or what's your suggested brew method? Why do you use a Chemex? Why do you not use a Chemex? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? So I decided to just unpack and organize that through the Black Rifle Coffee podcast, at least through the the first part of this, and talk about why do I use a Chemex? Why do you use a Hario V60? Why do I think a pour over is uh, still a viable means in order to make coffee? So we're going to cut to that. And you can watch me kind of uh, unpack the reasons why. So why do I use a Chemex? Um, It's it's good. So when I say it's good, it's not great. I know it's not the best pour-over device. I know that it's not the most sophisticated pour-over device. I know it has a lot of different flaws. However, it's good. And it's consistently good. It's also something that I can have whether I'm in a hotel in Austin, Texas, throw that out there because I was just there, but if I'm in a hotel, you know, traveling somewhere, or if I'm here, I can put things through the same brew ratio with the same heat. And I can also not only check for quality control, but I can get essentially a really consistent cup of coffee that I know will deliver based on uh, brew ratios, temperature of the water, uh, the the grind size, the granularity, all these things are gonna be good. And a lot of people, I've heard this, so I'm reacting to comments, uh, not the comments within social media, but people will DM me because I could give a flying fuck about the comments within them, is, the Chemex isn't the best brewer. Uh, the Chemex, there's so many better brewers out there, like the Hario V60, which is something I also use, or the Fellow Pour Over, which is something I also use. I use them all. So just to be very consistent with what we're talking about is like, I use all of these brewers to include the stuff up here that we have multiple different brew, di- brew devices. And sometimes we're using ceramic, uh, these are tea, uh, then we have different types of kettles, and we have Keurig machines here with an espresso machine. We've got a wide variety of different brew methods that we can implement once we find the coffees that we want to use. So why do I use a Chemex? Because it's good and it's consistent. I can get the filters off Amazon. I can get the filters here in my coffee shop. If I break one, I know the next one's coming is gonna be roughly the same. It's just good. The other reason is 
my wife drinks maybe the worst coffee I've, I've ever tasted in my life. Her brew ratios are like 10 to one. So she just dumps the most coffee she can get into the Chemex. She makes one cup of coffee, which is, like I said, some of the worst coffee I've ever tasted in my life based on how strong it is. There has to be like a thousand milligrams of caffeine in one cup of coffee based on what she does. But the Chemex has a really big uh, hopper so I can get a little bit of coffee for myself because I'm doing one to 16 ratio. And then as soon as I'm done vice or vice versa, I can flip over to her. She can fill the whole thing with just the, the worst shit ever. So it's good. It's consistent. Uh, it, it's really accessible. I can find it a bunch of different places and uh, I can quality control our ECS, our regular coffees. I can take it overseas. I can do a bunch of other stuff with it. The other thing that I use is not just this. I also use what's called the Hario V60. So I use two things. I use the Chemex, I use the Hario V60. I like the V60 better. However, this is good and it's consistent. So right now we're gonna, we're gonna have a little, what we call C-bomb. Um, we're doing 23 grams, one to 16 ratio at 197 degrees. And I do it in 100 gram increments. So I take this up to 197.6. I'll let it pull all the way through. So guys get really hung up over time. And by the way, so do I. I just try to teach people in layman's terms, how do you make a really good cup of coffee? Uh, keep it consistent and something you can travel with and do at multiple different locations. So here, what I've done is I've, I've ground the pour over roughly between what I would say is the, the grain size of salt and pepper. So you pin that in the middle. That's kind of what you're looking for. Um, I put it in the Chemex filter. I'm infusing at 100 gram increments. And then people ask me, well, how do you know the time frame? Well, this has a clock on the scale. Most of the time I don't use it because what will happen as it falls through, it starts to drip. So once it, it, there's a steady stream and then it'll start to drip. That's when you know you have to pull more, pour more coffee through the filter. So you load up your Chemex, pour at 100 gram increments and at 24 grams, I'll do the math in, in my, my head real fast. Uh, so, so that's 108. So I'm going to take it to 72. So 372 will be my end weight and I'm at 317 right now. So we'll do another infusion 372. Once again, get a good brewing device. You don't have to have a great one, a really good brewing device like a Chemex, a Hario or a Fellow. It's something that's consistent, something that you can get filters for off Amazon because that's also going to be important if you're traveling. Um, Get something that not only looks cool on your counter, but you're 
super excited to brew with. You have to have a gooseneck kettle. I think Fellow makes the best gooseneck kettle out there. I've used Hario, I've used Fellow. I think they make the best adjustable temperature gooseneck kettle available. Uh, get a, a good scale. Hario makes great scales, so does Fellow. So you're kind of going back and forth between two different companies in the way that we're doing brewing. So kettles, pour overs, scales, Fellow's got a wide variety of a bunch of them and they're all very good. Chemex, good brewing device. They don't make a scale that I'm aware of. Um, and then Hario, of course. So if you kind of stick between three different companies, Chemex, Hario, and Fellow, you'll get amazing results. Um, with the Chemex, you'll see me sloshing it around. You'll hear me talk about it on, the, on our show. I take my Chemex, I pull the, the, the paper filter out of it. I aerate it, so I'm actually, what I'm doing here is I'm twisting this around and I'm trying to bring in a little bit of air. What that does, cools the coffee up just a little bit, but also pulls in a little bit more air. And then as you're aspirating the coffee, here, and I'll show that to the camera. So as you're aspirating the coffee into your mouth, you've done two, two processes there. You've aerated it inside the Chemex, and then now I'll do it again, and I'll spray it across my tongue. Um, so now we're back here. We're sitting at my desk. I'm, I'm trying to do this thing where once a week, we're just gonna do Q and A's. I'm gonna talk to you guys about coffee, about the, the company, about the things that are going on, and myself, Matt, Evan, Logan, uh, you know, the, the BRCC universe. We're gonna talk about those things, uh, give everybody updates, and then we're also gonna add an interview with uh, a guest once a week. So congratulations, we're now gonna start doing, you know, two shows going forward. Uh, we haven't decided exactly what week we're going to start posting the, uh, what I would say is our, our news updates, but we'll get back to you. This is our first one. Mm. So we talked about the Chemex pour over. We talked about why do I still use a Chemex? We talked about the Hario, the V60, some of their other things. Um, people ask me, do I use French press? Uh, no, I don't. I don't typically use French press unless I'm in a remote area where there's nothing else. Uh, it's not that I have a, an, an overwhelming disdain for the, the, the French press coffee. It's just not my favorite. It's, it's, it can be very inconsistent depending on the, on the type of press that you're using. You have to have the right size grain of, of coffee. So the granularity has to be consistent. It has to be very coarse. You have to have a high quality, heavy or bigger grain coffee. Even then, you still have a lot of uh, uh, residue within 
the the French press and the coffee itself. So as you're pouring it, you have to pour the entire amount of French press out, or you typically should, or it just continues to steep in the coffee, uh, and it 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 gets really really overwhelming very fast. So why do I not use French press? That's because I just haven't found a high quality French press that I really like. Uh, we have we have one that's made by um, I think it's uh, Expo Bar. I don't know. We have one. I'll, I'll, I'll pull it out. Do we have one over there on the shelf? Uh, no, I don't think we have one up here. Um, well, just cruise down and grab one. I think we have one in the in the coffee shop. Or go tell Charlie to do it. Yeah, I think it's an Expo Press. So we have, I think just a French press, the stainless steel French press, whichever one. Okay. So my my love for coffee also it, it overrides any brewing device. So at the end of the day, if I have to get coffee at a gas station, I'm getting coffee at a gas station. If I have to do a pour-over through an old T-shirt in order to get a pour-over, I'll do it through an old T-shirt. Uh, I don't have um, – what, what should I say? I don't have the need or the desire to not experience coffee in what I would say the lowest form or the highest form. And that's not because I'm addicted to caffeine. That's not it. It's because I can appreciate the coffee that I buy at 7-Eleven for the experience on a road trip. I can also experience you know, a 90-plus single origin, naturally processed, anaerobic, fermented, or, uh, uh, fermented coffee that, that's going to cost me $30 a pound. I can experience both. The expectation is that I will go into the situation with a very different uh, uh, expectation. So I will go into both scenarios with a very different expectation. I will not, um, what I would say is like, I will not compromise the uh, integrity of a coffee just to, just to have caffeine, meaning... If I'm going to have gas station coffee, I'm going to have gas station coffee. But if if I'm going to pull out, uh, I well, let me let me rewind. I won't go to the store and buy a inferior coffee just because I'm trying to save a, a few dollars. And that's the difference between what we'd say a price shopper and a quality shopper. What I try to do here is balance everything between making it an acceptable price while maintaining a high high what i try to do here is make things an acceptable price with an exceptional quality standard and that's not you know me trying to to make a commercial in the middle of this that's just my balance that's what i try to do so i could go and get the highest the, the highest scoring coffees imaginable and try to put those out to everybody. Uh, one, it would be, uh, it, it would, it would, it would, one, it would, it would just price everybody out. They wouldn't be able to afford the coffee. 
And two, you, you're only really getting what I would say is a 10% variable as far as being able to match quality with price and then get exceptionally, uh, get an, an exceptional experience out of a, a really substantial increased price. So we have this, this is my favorite My favorite French press, uh, one of the reasons why it's my favorite French press is because it's double wall, uh, which means vacuum seal, double wall. It holds in the heat for longer. It uh, It's very sturdy. So over the course of, of my professional life traveling overseas, uh, typically in some of the worst places in the world, I would bring French presses with me, and I have to bubble wrap these things, like wrap them up with t-shirts and all kinds of shit to try to prevent them from breaking. They would still break, by the way. And then you'd take them overseas and you'd have them in a fire base somewhere and some jackass would would drop it and it would break. So finally, I, I found these guys. And this is an S-Pro. It's a Canadian company. It's micro-filter, double-wall, stainless steel. You can't break this thing. I, actually, let's go take it and drop it off the the roof. Why not? Let's go. So why do I design the things that we do? Uh, why do I select the different products? A lot of the products I select, you have to have the ability to defend your life with it. So this thing is almost what I would say is indestructible. We'll shoot it with my bow too. We'll see if it will actually deflect an arrow. But this is the Black Rifle Coffee Espro Double Wall Stainless Steel French Press. Let's see the, the drop test. All right, let's go get it. We're here, we were just up there. You've got the, the tactical Sasquatch on the side of the building. We're here at Black Rifle Coffee. We, I, I literally hocked this. It has one dent. It's 100%. So drop test on the double wall stainless steel black rifle coffee French press. It survived, not only did it survive, it's fucking intact. Let's see if we can hit this thing. Straight away. Well, it's got a big dent in it. <laughs> okay, so we just we just hit the double wall stainless steel French press with my trad bow field tip arrow. We threw it off the roof. It's fine. There's no issues with it whatsoever. So when I say I select products that you can defend your life with, that's what I do. This thing it has a lot of heft to it and you can beat the fuck out of somebody with it. All right. So we went outside, we did a drop test and I shot this with my trad bow just to see what, what I would say is like what. All right. So we went outside, we, we've got this double wall stainless steel French press. I shot it with my trad bow. We threw it off uh, the, the roof of the building. I think we we're probably 30 feet above the the parking lot so 
survived relatively intact. Like when I say I go for things that are bomb proof, like quite literally, you could not only defend your life with this, but you could also uh, rest assured that as you're traveling with this in your luggage and taking it internationally or into hunting camp or whatever the fuck you're doing, like this thing's going to last. So is it going to be a little bit more wobbly? Yeah, that's true. It just, you know, survived an arrow in 30 feet being dropped off a, off a roof. So great product. That's why we selected it. That's enough on that. Um, so the difference between, I, I, I get this question a lot too, which is the difference between Robusta and Arabica. So the, the basic difference is Robusta is smaller. It has more caffeine. It's more bitter and it typically costs less. It's grown in very specific regions of the world. Uh, a lot of it comes out of uh, Southeast Asia, uh, in India, a little bit in Brazil. But Robusta is, is generally considered an inferior bean, just in general. Now, it has more caffeine. Uh, it has more bitterness. It's typically less expensive. Yes. Arabica is where you're going to, you, you're going to find um, most of your flavors from high quality, uh, high scoring coffees are going to come from. So now you have main genetic lines within the Arabica family uh, that all come back to Ethiopia. And that's why today, if you, if you have heard of a coffee called like Gesha, which is commonly mispronounced into Geisha, uh, that's the, 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 the mother of a lot of coffees that come out of Ethiopia. My favorite places to import coffees from right now, uh, well, Panama, Colombia, Nicaragua, Guatemala, I think Central and South America, high altitude Central and South America coffees, I, I, I think they're the best coffees in the world right now. That being said, Ethiopia still has some incredible coffees. I'm not, I'm not saying they don't. Uh, just most of what I see that I really love is all coming out of, of Central and South America. Panama, I think, has had some incredible geshes in the last uh, three years. And I also think that there's some really revolutionary technology. I, and I, I don't even know if it's technology. Let's say it's evolution specifically related to coffee right now happening. It's really exciting. Fermentation, I think, is one of the, the, the most interesting things that has been injected into specialty coffee in a long time. I think you know, how we go to an anaerobic fermentation and then how we're kind of standardizing that in the future will be really interesting, but it's, it, it, it definitely accelerates the way a coffee tastes. And I, I, I truly love very fruit forward coffees. It, it, it's one of my favorite things. So Robusta, uh, inferior, more caffeine, more bitter, smaller, um, Arabica, bigger, uh, better <laughs> just kind of like distill that down to, to readers digest notes um the single best origin trip that we've done i think was guatemala just before covid the the, the farmers that we work with down there are incredible 
Uh, Freddie is our, we call him Freddie the Fixer. Uh, he's, he's been working with us for the last several years. He's, uh, he, he, he knows all the great coffees and a funny story about Guatemala and where, you know, where we were at the time. We were talking about how Lava Panther, this coffee that we came up with out of Guatemala, this was right, right before COVID, uh, the Guatemalans were constantly talking about these panthers that were that were just outside of Antigua, next to the volcanoes, and they were talking about the volcanoes and the panthers both. They're very afraid of them. So I made the joke of, "What if it was a panther, like surfing down off the volcano, man?" And that's where we came up with the design and the name for Lava Panther. So I, I literally texted Gary Stevens, who's been with the company for 11 years. Hey, I've got this idea for Lava Panther. We had the coffee named and essentially the design almost locked in three days from just a simple origin trip in Guatemala. These are some of my favorite things that, that we've done. Edwin Parnell, he's been with the company for 10 years. We met in Kabul, Afghanistan in 2009, 2010, I believe. And he's, he's been the guy that's, that's truly been pushing the ball forward for us at Black Rifle, uh, single origin, micro lots, the ECS. Like Ed and I work on that pretty exclusively. Uh, he's last year, as of last year, we just won, you know, obviously the golden bean. I think most of you know that we also had a bronze for circus bear and dictator Gesha Geisha, uh, you know, Ed being a former green beret, he also worked at the CIA. He's also a former ultra marathon runner. He's been one of my closest friends. Uh, he's, he's also been the guy that's been able to go down the rabbit hole around specialty coffee, uh, what's happening in specialty coffee, like what's new, what's cool, what do we see that the trends are. So Ed's been able to really start to take a look at the coffees and then advance Black Rifle from tip to toe. Uh, he and I and Gary Stevens work really closely on the exclusive coffee subscription. That's been our baby, along with other people too, of course. But uh, Ed and I, we take a lot of a lot of pride in that in that product. Um, so here's a question: uh, What's your favorite hunting trip? What's my favorite hunting trip that I've ever been on? Um, that's a tough one. I, I think that most most of the hunting trips that I go on all have something very unique associated with them. That I, like I I love hunting elk. I think it's it's probably one of the most interesting animals to hunt just in general. Um, I love hunting the elk while they're in the rut because you get to, you get to take advantage of how stupid they are, you know, right there. You've got these bulls that are really fixated on getting laid one time a year. And you have that 30 day window where you can close the gap and get really close to bulls and be in and around herds. Whereas it, it can be very difficult in other portions of the year to do that. This year, I was in Utah. I was I was uh, just about an hour and a half outside of town, and uh, I was able to get right in with a herd and sit 
with the the cows watching this bull uh, and I was it felt like I was part of the herd for at least a couple hours and those little those little pieces of uh, what I would say is those special moments in the mountains with animals are, are you can't really trade them for anything I think a few years ago I was in Colorado and I was down in this drainage where a bunch of creeks combined to make one place and i'll i'll send uh I'll, I'll actually add the video to this and i had bulls all around me hundreds of bulls and cows were all around me they're screaming their heads off and i was trying to to uh get as close as i could to the these cows and we had been in that drainage for so long that essentially the herd could smell us but there are so many elk that they didn't care they really didn't care that we were right there now was i had already tagged out so i didn't have an opportunity to to kill a bull but i was right in the middle of multiple herds uh coming together and essentially they were combining herds so you had satellite bulls and spikes and cows i mean these were hundreds of elk in one place it was it was wild. Like it was completely insane. Um, that was really special. And then my wife and I, we hunted uh, archery bulls last year, and we killed a really, really nice bull for her her first bull. So I would say my my last hunting trip with my wife, he, her and I hunting together, and then her um, killing that bull was was pretty amazing. And of course, you know I've hunted with Joe now three three years in a row so i got to watch joe do 30 stocks in the mountains of california and it was it was cool it was cool to see the the amount of discipline that he uses in order to approach the problem uh for him to go out and you know i know that he shoots thousands of arrows he trains his ass off every year he doesn't he doesn't cut corners he's not trying to make it easy for himself so watching somebody else hunt that hard was was pretty incredible uh all in all i think if i were to like distill it down to to like my favorite hunting trip uh it would have probably been john dudley myself uh barklow andy stump we did a hunting trip in canada several years ago for moose uh so yeah it was trevor thompson john barklow andy stump um well right here yeah here all these guys huh. so yeah this is uh i guess the photo of trevor thompson barklow dudley uh me that i think was probably one of the the coolest hunting trips i had done just because we had a blast <laughs> Like we were a little bit out of control. It was awesome. So I think that was the funnest. Uh, the, the, is, that, is that a word, funnest? I think it was the most fun I've ever had. Um, my favorite game meat is, is by far moose. I love elk, but moose is in a different level as far as the texture, quality, there's no gaminess whatsoever to it. So I do know based on my family's desire to have moose, just what their favorite is, and it's moose, 
100%. So moose ranks number one as far as wild game, then elk, then deer. Uh, that would be my ranking order. What are my thoughts on the veteran community before and after BRCC? I don't, I don't exactly know what that means uh, from a question perspective. I think starting Black Rifle and being uh, a you know Green Beret and then also working at the CIA for a number of years, I was fairly isolated with a, a very small group of people that were very, I would say, quiet about any psychological or physical issues they were having because of the war. Uh, because culturally, it just wasn't acceptable to talk about it. Um, it wasn't acceptable to show weakness or pain. Uh, you know, don't let, what was the thing like, don't, don't let them see Superman bleed, right? So uh, I think that was my mindset coming into this, which is always very stoic. It was always built on uh, courage, uh, you know, keep your mouth shut, do what you're told, you know, work through the problem, don't complain. And I'm not discrediting that. I think there's a lot of validity to, to using that. And I still use uh, what I would say is um, the, the tenets of stoicism today. Uh, and it's very important to me to be open and transparent with the community in a way that was uh, very authentic. And it also builds what I would say is value. Uh, I think the combat arms and very specifically the guys that have been carrying rifles for a living and going into combat, I think they have a lot to offer from a life perspective. They have a lot to offer back in, in, into society as to what they learned from addressing their own mortality day in and day out. I think they go through a existential crisis. I think that veterans themselves, as they ETS, let's say you're voluntarily leave the military and, and or you're involuntary leaving the military or you, you go from being injured or in a situation where you get medically discharged. Now you're, you have a forced departure from your tribe. And having a forced departure from your tribe, it's already you're into a, a very specific psychological issue, which is now we have purpose and identity associated with the military. And as I'm transitioning or getting out, I have to redefine my purpose and my identity. Um, and that can be very difficult for a lot of people. I think the combat arms community or the guys that were really fighting the wars and the special operations community, I think they, they dealt with their mortality in a more deeper and significant way than 99.9% of the rest of the world. So as you're addressing and overcoming what I would say is the insignificance and significance of your life 
by dealing with the, the intellectualization of your mortality, it can be difficult. So I, th I think there's a lot to, to learn from this experience of combat in this. How's my name? Okay. So I, I think there's a lot to learn from the experience of combat and the war fighters themselves, which is they're put on the front lines. They're dealing with their own mortality. They're going through the, 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 the internal and intellectualization of life, life and death in order to accomplish a mission where they have predetermined purpose. So their essence is already defined for them. Now, if they survive this event and, they're, and they transition into the civilian world, they've been exposed to the realities of life in a way that 99% of the population will never understand. It's essentially like being in a car wreck every day, wondering if you're going to survive or not survive. And then you're intellectualizing, I'm going to be in a car wreck at some point in time today. I just don't know if I'm going to live or die. What would you do differently? How would you live your life differently? Um, they've asked themselves a lot of different questions multiple times that most people have never had the opportunity to do. They've never had the opportunity to ask themselves that question. So I think from a courage perspective, people understanding how courageous that act is in order to get up, go to war every day for years on end, uh, we should be protecting and encouraging those people to come out and, and speak to civilians. So they can make their lives a little bit better as to how do I triage and prioritize the importance of how I run my life. I run my life completely different because of this. And uh, I think before I started Black Rifle, I knew this was an important community to belong to. 10 years later, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that, that this is one of the most incredible subcultures in communities that we have in, in our modern society because of what we've done and been able to do. So uh, if anything, it's just accelerated my appreciation and love for the community. Um, <clears throat> they asked me, so here's a question. So going back 10 years, what would you do differently with BRCC? Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have a lot of regrets. I think most of what I would do would be personally. Uh, I sacrificed a lot of what I, I, I sacrificed a lot of physical, emotional, and um, psychological health starting the company and going through, I would say, years of three, four, five hours of sleep every night. So step one, I'd go back and tell myself to go to sleep and get seven, eight hours of sleep a night because it's been very difficult for me to retrain myself back to get more sleep. And sleep is the cornerstone of health. I, I truly believe that. And you can't show up uh, cognitively if your frontal lobe is shot because you only have four hours of sleep. You just can't. You can't triage and prioritize your life. You can't 
be a functioning father, a good husband, and a great business owner on four hours of sleep. You'll you'll reach a point of tracer burnout that will take you years to dig yourself back out of. And the reason I say that is because I've been there and I've done it for the last several years. So now I, I really focus on seven and a half, eight hours of sleep. I focus on the pillars of health. Um, I get good sleep. I work out every day. I don't put a bunch of junk into my body. So I essentially eat three food groups, which is uh, protein, clean, healthy, organic meats, vegetables, and fruit. Outside of that, I don't, I don't really have any, anything else. So I don't eat pastas. I don't eat refined foods. I don't eat sugar. I don't do any of those things. And then I also fast typically five days out of the week where I only have one meal a day. Cognitively, it keeps me running it at what I feel is 100%. So I would go back and tell myself, don't sacrifice sleep, don't sacrifice workouts, eat really well, and don't let little shit bother you. <laughs> so that would be the, and when I say that, it's if the building isn't burning down, don't give a shit. There's always an important there's there's always 10 things that are really important that supposedly take you away from your family and the things that you need to do that you have to solve right now. Uh, you never have to solve those. <laughs> like, you'll get to them, but if the, if the building's not on fire or something, it doesn't have a timeline, there's no reason for you to keep up and, you know, keep yourself up and opine about those and you know, drive yourself into an early insane asylum. There's just no reason to do that. I would say the things that I've done right is uh, I chose really good business partners. Matt Jared have been incredible business partners for business partners for me for ten years. Uh, I've done a lot of what I would say is just triaging and prioritization as far as execution. I understand what's important and what isn't. I, definitely more so now than I ever have. So I keep a running list of things that I, I, I do. I, I wake up in the morning, I, I chop those things down, I, I cross the things off that are really important. And then if they've been on my list for longer than a, you know, a few months, I just scratch them off because they're just not important. So triage and prioritize your time. Uh, really focus on your health because that will give you the staying power to, to continue to grind away your business for years on end. Um, with the next question, what's the longest I've gone without coffee or without good coffee? Uh, I purposely, I, I purposely don't go without coffee most of the time because I always have so much coffee and there's so much, there's so many different options for me to have coffee, but I'd say, Recently, I've gone two or three days without coffee, and that's just because I was on a road trip, and the coffee that was available just wasn't that good. And you know, going back to, I'm not going to sacrifice uh, a high quality experience, even if it's shitty coffee. But neither were good, so the experience or the coffee just wasn't good. So I didn't drink any. I'm not going to just drink for the caffeine's sake. That's that's not something I'm going to do. It has to be something else. Has to be the taste or the experience, but I'm not going to just drink to to drink for caffeine. That's that's just 
not not what I'm into. So two or three days. It's typically what I uh, would have gone. Uh, what YouTubers do you watch or like? Um, I watch Mike uh, Mike Glover because you know you see he's one of my best best friends. I watch Andy Stump because he's one of my best friends. Uh, I I watch uh, Modern Wisdom, which is Chris Williamson. He's an interesting guy. I listen to his podcast. I listen to Joe's podcast. I listen to Jordan Peterson's podcast. Uh, I listen to anything Douglas Murray typically puts out. Um, trying to think of other podcasts. I I catch Jared's show every now and again, but I've, I'm way more into uh, podcasts that, that I can kind of go down the rabbit hole with. Um, uh, what's the other one that I really like? Um, Man's Search for Meaning, I believe, or... Uh, no, an unexamined life. That's a that's a really good philosophy podcast. I it's been around for like ten years. These guys have done so much on you name the 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 philosophical topic. Like they've done so many different shows. They're incredible. Uh, so I've philosophized this, uh, an unexamined life. Those are my two that I go to for philosophy, and then. Uh, well, Jordan Peterson, obviously, he's he's a philosopher as well, but then. You have kind of a wide variety of hosts that have different guests that I I, I admire and I love. Um, why did we partner with Hunter 7? So the Hunter 7 Foundation, why did we partner with them? It's really easy. I think the exposure to toxic burn pits could be the, the Agent Orange of our GWAT community. I think I have too many friends right now that are that are either have cancer or have had cancer in the last several years. One of my really close friends, Josh Rollerson, just died of lung cancer in the last month. And then being at the funeral and then talking to guys, it's, it's an epidemic. Um, I would say one out of four men there, and there was at least 100 men there, had some type of cancer, mainly prostate. I think we as a community have to do a much better job of reaching out, tying every one of us into the help that they need. And what Hunter 7 does is they do, they connect people with civilian counterpart doctors, they do early screening, they do a ton of things that I think are going to be really important for the community to get an accelerated education on in the next two years so we can get out of, out ahead of this catch cancers as early as we can because I, I, I truly want my friends to be around for the next 20 years. Like we've got to make impacts in our family. We've got to make impacts in our communities. We've got to really be what I would say is directly driven to make an impact and not just fade out because we didn't get early detection in a cancer. So Hunter 7 does an incredible job of doing that. They're a great organization and that's that is the reason why we partnered with them. Um, what's the weirdest item in my refrigerator? Um, I don't know, actually. I don't have anything weird in my refrigerator. I'll probably, uh, you know what, probably BP-157, which is a, um, 
Uh, it's a peptide, so BP157. It's an injectable peptide that helps with inflammation. Uh, uh, I take it every now and again because I have like chronic um, patella and Achilles tendonitis from running. I still run um, because I'm not fucking weak. I just push it. <laughs> and I know there's a there's a difference between like pushing it past a point of insanity and not allowing your body to rest. But here's the point that I'm trying to make is finding out ways that you can continue to push your body and push your body to do the things that you don't want to do will make you a better person. It is absolutely 100% guaranteed that you will develop the sections of your brain that you will need. When things get fucking hard, you will 100% develop that section of your brain to accomplish difficult things that you don't want to do. Running is one of those things for me that I do love it, but I have to push my my uh, 47-year-old body to get it done. So BP-157 is probably the weirdest thing in there. Uh, my favorite thing to cook for my kids is wild game, but the thing that they love the most is eggs over easy. So a little bit of butter, eggs over easy, like the perfect amount of gooey center and then really big chunks of of uh of himalayan salt what drives the roast and naming of the ecs roast um whatever comes to mind for me (laughs) that's what that's what i like to do i it's one of my favorite things about the company i i spend a significant amount of time trying to make the designs as cool as possible and then with Edwin and the other guys in coffee is try to make these exceptional, amazing single origin coffees that that they can't get from anyone from anywhere else. They can only get them from Black Rifle. So it's my it's it's my favorite part of the company. It's also a very small portion of the company, but it's my favorite part of the company. I'll never stop doing it. Uh, I'll never stop being the guy that that runs that. Like they'll they'll have to like probably my dead hand off of that thing when I when I go to the grave. What's a so here's a here's a good here's a good one. Favorite good war movie, favorite bad war movie. So it depends on what you want to classify as good or bad. But my favorite good war movie is Apocalypse Now. It's I think it's so crazy. In when you get the uncut or unedited version the extended one which i think is uh, redux and if you've been to war before i went to war i i had this concept where everything was organized and it was like it, it was something that you could um it was very conventional and you could organize against it wasn't chaotic after i went to war i realized how chaotic and crazy it really is because there isn't any rules. Apocalypse Now, for me, it shows you how insane war actually is and how it doesn't make sense and how you you actually have to be a little bit insane to have it make sense. So I think it's one of the, the most well-done war movies 
that's been out there. I think um, the best war series is the Pacific on HBO. That's like I think it's the single finest series ever done on war. Um, the books are amazing. E.B. Sledge is he has a couple different books out, uh, and the Old Breed and Helmet for My Pillow are they should be required reading for every high school in America. So the Pacific is, is phenomenal apocalypse now, as far as movies, bad war movies. Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, commando, <laughs> I don't know, just bad movies. I, they're entertaining, but they're just bad. I think, uh, there's a ton of them from the eighties and they just really went, hard exploitation into Vietnam veteran kind of um, um, shoot everything from the hip. There's no accuracy, just like gratuitous violence, which by the way, can be super fun. I'm not, not, not taking away, but when you're a serious war movie, but you're just shot really poorly with no, uh, tactical expertise, I think that's where you get, things get really bad. But I can't really think of any that are really bad. So now we kind of went through some questions. We talked about 2023 and some of the things that we've, uh, the customers wanted to ask me. What's been happening over the course of the last couple of weeks? I was just in Austin. I was on Joe's show. Um, it was an incredible experience. I went to uh, the Rogan podcast. And then afterwards, I went in we did comedy mothership. So I, I just, I can't emphasize how cool that is. And it's not lost on me whatsoever. I, at the end of the day, I'm still a fan of my brand. I'm still the guy that's trying to build a coffee shop gun store 10 years ago. And none of this shit is lost on me. Like if I'm going to, you know, be on Joe's show or I'm going to the comedy uh, mothership or, you know, I was just on um, the Diesel Brothers podcast as well. Like, this stuff is not lost on me. I I find it fascinating. I find myself in the opportunity to go and do things for my customers and then report back to them and say, this is fucking epic. And it has not a lot to do with with me and kind of a lot to do with you guys in the in the sense of I get to show you what the stuff is like. I get to go out, do these things, and come back and hopefully shed some realistic light on what it is, and I'm not going to do it from position of how fucking cool am I and look at how special I am because I I know that I'm very fortunate, but I'm not that cool. <laughs> so I think that's the important piece to this is you know, when I'm sitting down and talking to different guests, I'm really trying to get a different perspective so you guys can hear from them. And when I go out and do something, it's also because I think it's interesting. I think it's fascinating. I also want to be able to report back to you guys and tell you what, what it's all about. And I build products for you. I don't build stuff for me. Like, well, that's, that's not true either. I build stuff for us. Like I try to build really cool products that everybody will enjoy 
And if it passes my test, I think, you know what? You guys will probably like it. It's the same thing with media. It's the same thing with any of these these videos that we do, whether it's a sketch, whether it's a podcast, whether it's it's you know me sitting here talking to the camera. It's just what can I do that will create value? And if I can create value in your lives, you guys might be able to trust me to develop products that, that you'll enjoy. It's a pretty easy relationship. I create value for you. You come back and you say, you know what? He made something that was pretty cool. He's got good taste. I'm going to trust him and his ability to go out and curate really cool products for me. It's pretty easy. And at the end of the day, guys, you, you have to email us, DM us, tell us what you want to see. What do you want in the future as far as products are concerned, as far as media is concerned? And in 24, we'll really work hard to deliver what I would say is under-promise and over-deliver back to you guys what you want to see. So leave a comment below. Tell me what you think. Uh, remember, like, subscribe, share, the whole fucking thing. Thank you.